you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Tuesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is a situation around the Nelk Boys, who, if you don't know who they are, not the biggest deal. Yes, it is a story about them, but it is also a larger story regarding creators, their responsibility, platforms, and COVID. So the Nelk Boys, if you don't know, are massive YouTubers with over 5.7 million subscribers. They're led by Kyle Forgear, Jesse Sebastiani, Steve Delianardis. If you're not someone who watches them, they may also be familiar because they were making headlines last month. This because they were protesting for gyms to reopen in Los Angeles is kind of a stunt. They've also more recently made headlines for throwing parties in a pandemic, though the Nelk Boys seemingly with at least one of these events taking issue with that label. Tweeting about the media's trail of what they've been doing, saying they writing we hosted a party, but then continuing essentially saying it's just the fans, writing anywhere we go people will find us, they blame in the fact we have a strong fan base. And that's seemingly about what happened in New Jersey, which we'll touch on in a second, but understand that is just the latest, right? Uh, last week they shared videos of parties that they started, right? For example, this one on your screen right now comes from Illinois State University. Just an absolutely massive event, everyone as close as possible, not a mask in sight. And according to New York Times reporter Taylor Lorenz, the group's actually been traveling across the country to college towns. And you know, this outright stupid and dangerous behavior behavior, it's gotten them into some trouble. Following those videos from Illinois coming out, we saw a lot of people, including creators, tweeting for YouTube to do something. This including a creator by the name of Mac Does It, writing, YouTube, please consider reprimanding the Nelk Boys and reevaluate their existence in your monetization program for the complicit actions of bioterrorism. We are in a classified pandemic and actions like this should not be let go easily. And following this initial reaction, the initial reports, you see on Friday, Taylor Lorenz report that YouTube actually demonetized the Nelk Boys channel. With YouTube giving the statement, we have temporarily suspended the monetization on the Nelk Boys channel for violating our creator responsibility policy and adding that it took action because the group's off-platform behavior was a harm to the community, saying these creators were encouraging very large groups of people to actively disregard social distancing guidelines from local health authorities that were put in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19, with Team YouTube also saying that they were suspended from the YouTube Partner Program, which, in addition to monetization, gives them access to creator support teams and copyright match tools. Also, with this story, it appears that there may be consequences for other people. According to reports, over 100 students from Illinois State University could be facing consequences as well, with the school publishing a statement saying, the university is working with the town of Normal, right where the school is located, the Normal Police Department, and the Illinois State University Police Department to investigate these events. Students will be charged with violations of the Student Code of Conduct and are subject to town of Normal ordinance violations for their participation. Violations of the Student Code of Conduct can result in suspension from the university. You also had the president of the school, Larry Dietz, talking about this in his State of the University address. It gives me no joy to convey my great disappointment in the actions of those who gathered. Hundreds of faculty and staff members at the university have been working nonstop to ensure that your education can continue in a safe and healthy environment. The actions of some were an insult to them, to the town where you are a citizen, and to your families who support you being here. It's also worth noting there that since August 17th, right in less than a month, there have been over 1,300 cases on their campus. As I mentioned last week, right when we talked about Mizzou, they are far from alone. Right now, COVID-19 on college campuses is a huge issue. Right now, all of that said, it brings us to what happened last night. All this kind of ties together the actions of what they're doing in person and what YouTube's trying to do to kind of curb that behavior. Because that Nelk tweet that I shared earlier, where it seemed that they had an issue with reports saying that they were throwing a party last night in New Jersey, by kind of arguing that they didn't necessarily formally invite a bunch of people over to party, but essentially the defense of what are we supposed to do? People just show up when we go places. But the more that you actually look at this situation, you realize, oh, at least initially, they got everything that they wanted, even if it went sideways, right? Like if this group of guys, they, they go to the mall, a, a crowd naturally forms, that's one thing. But literally the morning before everything got crazy, they tweeted out, drop day at the Jersey Shore house, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight. And they posted that in the morning, giving people ample time to show up 
after having shared and embraced and loved the massive crowds when they were in other places, they also listed Jersey on a list of places they would be coming to, asking where their fans were at, seemingly drumming up anticipation for their presence in the area. And then, what do you know, a ton of people show up. Now, I will say at least one member of the group did seem visually upset that so many people showed up and gathered outside of the house. And more importantly, that the Nelk boys apparently ended up getting kicked out of the Jersey Shore house. Because you're here. We have to go leave in our merch shops in 30 minutes and we're uploading a video. So if you're here right now, you don't like us and I don't with you. So you guys have to leave. You're ruining our the biggest day. We work two months for this day. So if you guys stay here, I don't with any of you. But also you have people saying, you know, this group, they're taking advantage of this moment. They're documenting it on social media to add to the story, add to the moment, create more buzz. Also because of the way they talk about being kicked out on social media, you had some people saying, are they really being kicked out or are they being kicked out? Holy boys. 45 minutes to the drop. We got almost 14,000 people on the site. Let's go. Get on the website right now. 45 minutes, baby. What do you got to say, Ronnie? We're getting kicked out of our house. And we're getting kicked out of the Jersey Shore house, right? Get Get out of here, guys. Are we actually getting kicked out? It's time to go. <laughs> yeah, we're getting kicked out. It's an absolute storm out there. Yeah, we're getting kicked out. Yeah, so. But get on the site, boys. Can I tell them? Right, and that merch drop is, I think, why you're seeing creators like Tyler Oakley calling for the Nelk boys to not only be demonetized, but deplatformed. Tweeting, YouTube saw this behavior and only demonetized their channel. That was clearly not enough. YouTube, these creators are putting your users and themselves in danger while broadcasting it on your platform. We demand action, deplatform now. Right, because while these guys have gotten a ton of negative press, on the other hand, you look and you see how many people show up. You look, more importantly, to the like to dislike ratio on their videos, including the most recent one. And you realize 90 if not 99% of their audience is still with them, supporting them. And if anything, it appears that many have seen the Nelk Boys as actually the victims of this situation. And so actually, if anything, the Nelk Boys being demonetized may actually make them more money because their most loyal fans are gonna feel like they have to support them even more. And there is a lot of money to be made when it comes to merch. Like these guys have an insanely large, active, and loyal audience. Just on YouTube, their videos average four to seven million views a pop. You can then try to make a comparison on what public numbers we know. This is rough, not exact, some conjecture. But to compare that to another massive creator, Logan Paul, who gets between four to six million views a video, he recently came out on his podcast saying this year he made 30 to 40 million dollars from the merch line. Right, and so who knows how much the Nelk boys are bringing in because they built their whole model around these massive drops. I mean, at one point they shared a video showing over 150,000 concurrents on their website. That is an insanely impressive number, right? Which is why you have creators like Tyler Oakley saying a demonetization will not work. Right, so I'm seeing YouTube demonetizing the channel as kind of just a superficial move. I'm saying it's a move that's not meant to actually cause any change as far as the Nelk Boys behavior, but more a move by YouTube to just protect monetization and the partner program. But ultimately, that is where we are with the story, and I do want to pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts with this story regarding the, the demonetization that has already happened, the calls for deplatforming? One, not the other, both. Why, why not? Any and all thoughts, I'd love to know in those comments down below. And then, let's talk about the news around Brianna Taylor. Of course, we've talked about her on the show in the past. She was a 26-year-old EMT in Louisville, Kentucky, who was shot and killed inside her own apartment in the middle of the night. This after three Louisville Metro police officers serving a warrant entered by force with a battering ram, firing multiple rounds. Brianna's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, saying that they were in bed when they heard someone pounding on the door, saying he and Brianna repeatedly asked who was at the door, but the police failed to announce themselves. Walker later telling officials that he believed that Brianna's ex-boyfriend was trying to break in. So when the 
police broke Brianna's door off its hinges. Walker fired, striking one of the officers in the leg. The police responded by firing several shots, hitting Brianna five times, with one of the officers, Detective Brett Hankinson, firing 10 shots blindly into the room. As for the warrant that these officers were serving, it was part of a narcotics investigation that involved two men who police believed were selling drugs out of a house 10 miles away. As a part of that investigation, a judge had signed a warrant allowing officers to search her apartment. This because police said they believed that one of the men, who was an ex-boyfriend of Brianna's, was using her apartment to receive packages. Though, very notable here, neither Taylor nor Walker had any prior drug arrests or convictions, and no drugs were found in the apartment. Also, to clear up some confusion here, because it was initially reported that the police had a no-knock warrant, meaning they didn't have to knock or announce themselves before entering, officials have actually since said that the orders were changed before the raid to knock and announce, which means the police were in fact required to identify themselves. And there, of course, you have police saying that they did knock several times and announce themselves as officers with a warrant before they broke down the door, but that police account has been heavily disputed. Taylor's family, Walker, and multiple neighbors have all said that the police did not say who they were or that they were serving a warrant. Many others also pointing to the fact that the police incident report had multiple errors, including things like listing Brianna's injuries as none, despite the fact that she was killed after being shot five times. The police incident report also claiming that officers did not force their way into the apartment, even though they used a battering ram. What we initially saw happen after all of this was Walker was actually charged with attempted murder of a police officer, but those charges were dismissed back in May. Also, as of right now, none of the officers involved are facing criminal charges, but investigations by both the Kentucky Attorney General and the FBI are underway. Two officers, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly and Officer Miles Cosgrove, have been placed on administrative leave. Also, back in June, Detective Hankinson, the officer who fired 10 rounds into Brianna's apartment, was fired, with Hankinson reportedly appealing his firing, but that case has been delayed until the criminal investigation is complete. So the officials have also made some changes, including banning no-knock warrants, which we covered on the show a while back, as well as now requiring all officers serving warrants to wear body cameras, as well as other changes to the police department aimed at ensuring accountability and transparency. And you know, for a while now, that's where things have stood. Many, of course, have been very vocal about wanting criminal charges against the officers, with their family also filing a wrongful death lawsuit back in April that names the three officers as defendants. And that wrongful death lawsuit is actually why we're talking about this today. At a press conference today, Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher announced that the city will be paying a record-breaking $12 million to the family of Breonna Taylor. And that is a huge deal because according to reports, this is the largest amount ever paid by Louisville police in a police misconduct suit by far. But also, in addition to this historic payment, Mayor Fisher also announced the city was enacting a number of police reforms as part of this settlement. And among other things, those reforms included creating a program to include social workers and LMPD to provide assistance on certain police runs, requiring commanding officers to review all search warrants and other documents connected to them before an officer gets approval from a judge on them, implementing an early warning system that tracks all use of force incidents, citizen complaints, investigations, and other factors to identify officers with red flags, and creating a housing credit program to incentivize officers to live in certain low-income areas of the city, as well as encouraging officers to perform two paid hours a week of community service to better connect police with the communities that they're serving. And so that was the big update today, but by no means is this situation over. And many people having the same mindset of Kerry Washington who tweeted, a settlement was reached, but justice was not served. Arrest the officers who killed Breonna Taylor. With Breonna Taylor's mother also saying, as significant as today is, it's only the beginning of getting full justice for Breonna. We must not lose focus on what the real drive is. It's time to move forward with the criminal charges because she deserves that and much more. With Crump also echoing that, saying, we want at minimum second degree manslaughter charges. We want full justice for Breonna Taylor, not just partial justice. But yeah, ultimately that is where we are with this story now. Obviously we're gonna be paying attention to see what happens next. But until then, I, I do wanna ask, what are your thoughts around these new developments, the, the settlement? Also, what are your thoughts around these newly announced reforms? And specifically here, I'm pointing to the new program incentivizing officers to move to low income areas so they, I guess, become part of the community that they're serving. And then let's talk about this big whistleblower story. If you haven't seen, a whistleblower has now made a number of startling accusations against an immigration and customs enforcement facility in Georgia. So yesterday we 
saw that whistleblower who has been identified as Dawn Wooten, a former nurse at the facility, saying in a federal complaint that women at the Irwin County Detention Center, the ICDC, have been receiving hysterectomies at an improbable rate. Wooten saying in the complaint of the gynecologist performing these procedures, everybody he sees has a hysterectomy. Just about everybody. He's even taken out the wrong ovary on a young lady. She was supposed to get her left ovary removed because it had a cyst on the left ovary. He took out the right one. She was upset. She had to go back to take out the left and she wound up with a total hysterectomy. She still wanted children, so she has to go back home now and tell her husband that she can't bear kids. One female detainee likening the procedures to that of an experimental concentration camp, saying it was like they're experimenting with our bodies. With Wooten going on to say that many of the women receiving these procedures have told her they didn't fully understand why they had to get them. And that has raised the question of whether or not these women truly gave their informed consent. With Wooten saying these immigrant women, I don't think they really totally all the way understand this is what's going to happen depending on who explains it to them. And this because she says that nurses at the facility who don't speak Spanish will try to use Google to communicate with patients. Or they'll use another immigrant to help interpret rather than using the language line as medical staff are supposed to do. The complaint also details the account of another woman, a detainee at the facility who said that the staff at the ICDC in the doctor's office did not properly explain what procedure she was going to have. In fact, that woman saying she was given multiple different responses, including that she needed a small procedure to drain an ovarian cyst, that she was receiving a hysterectomy to have her womb removed, and later that part of her vagina would be scraped off because she had a thick womb. And so after receiving these conflicting explanations, you have the woman saying she tried to explain that to a nurse, but that nurse responded by getting angry with her and yelling at her. However, I should note here that woman never actually received any of the procedures that she said were described to her, this because she tested positive for COVID-19, which also brings us to one of the other major points of the complaint, that there was widespread disregard for protecting staff and detainees from COVID-19, including lack of social distancing, denying tests for symptomatic detainees, and even placing people who had tested positive back into the general population, with Wooten also claiming the facility officials would underreport the number of positive cases, and adding that in some cases, nurses at that facility would even shred medical requests submitted by detained immigrants and fabricate medical records. Also, regarding staff, Wooten says that they were actually pressured to work symptomatic and work positive as long as we had a mask on, which notably is both against common sense and against the official policies of the facility. In fact, Wooten said that even though she became symptomatic at one point and submitted her doctor's note to her supervisor, they still required her to work until she told them she would be quarantining until her test results came back. And then when she did return to work, she said that she was reprimanded for not calling in sick every single day, even though she had been told that she didn't have to. And all of that is a large part of the reason why Wooten filed this complaint. She complained to leadership multiple times about medical safety at that facility, but was then demoted all without a proper explanation or adequate justification. A move she called retaliation for speaking up with Wooten telling The Intercept, they're still not taking this seriously. Enough was enough. Now, following these allegations, we saw ICE telling the Associated Press, in general, anonymous unproven allegations made without any fact-checkable specifics should be treated with the appropriate skepticism they deserve. And in a statement to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, it also defended its handling of the coronavirus, saying, ICE epidemiologists have been tracking the outbreak, regularly updating infection prevention and control protocols, and issuing guidance to ICE Health Service Corps staff for the screening and management of potential exposures among detainees. However, the private company that runs ICDC, LaSalle Corrections, has not publicly responded yet. But also, notably, it is not the first time that they have come under fire during the pandemic. In July, another whistleblower complaint alleged that a separate detention center in Louisiana, which is operated by LaSalle, had engaged in, quote, gross mismanagement, dangerous practices, and compliance failures that exacerbated the spread of COVID-19. Though, their executive director defended the company before Congress, saying that it had taken tremendous efforts to mitigate impacts of this unprecedented pandemic. But, big note here, we're also now seeing others backing up Wooten's claims, including a member of ICDC's medical staff and four people currently or recently detained there. Also, since this report was filed, we've seen the Georgia House Minority Leaders sending a letter to the state's medical and nursing board, asking them to suspend the licenses of any practitioners implicated in the complaint until a full investigation can be conducted. This morning, you also had U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi echoing calls for an immediate investigation 
investigation, saying, if true, the appalling conditions described in the whistleblower complaint are a staggering abuse of human rights, with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling this part of a mass human rights violation. But ultimately, that is where we are, right? The, the complaint's been filed with the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Inspector General. We're gonna have to wait to see what happens, what it uncovers. And where I'll end this story is with a question to you. What are your thoughts with this story and these allegations? But that is where I'm going to end today's show. As always, thank you for watching and hitting that like button. It helps support the show. Also, if you're new here, you should hit that subscribe button and hey, maybe text me at 813-213-4423. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.